honey and mead were actually part of the afterlife. So in Celtic heaven, which is called the Otherlands or Avalon, was believed to have rivers of mead running through paradise. You think one bottle is dangerous. Right? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just imagining like a Willy Wonka situation. Yeah. Augustus. Augustus. (laughs) Drinking it from the Just gets sucked in the tube. Evan, you're getting too far. Oh, there goes Evan. Okay. (laughs) I had no chance. He's got a smile on his face. Went down happy. Yeah. (laughs) Welcome to a very special episode of Every Day is a Food Day. And a very special episode of the Drinking Horn Meadcast. Meadcast, Meadcast, Meadcast. We love each other's shows and think you will too. So we decided to brew up this crossover episode all about, what else, mead. You could say it's a meeting of the minds. Since we've just swarmed you with all these voices, let's officially introduce ourselves. I'm Evan Anderson, King Bee of the Drinking Horn Meadery in Flagstaff, Arizona, and co-host of the Drinking Horn Meadcast. I'm Leah Ballantyne, a chef creator in Austin, Texas, and host of the podcast Every Day is a Food Day. And I'm Nick Irvin, ambassador of Buzz at the Drinking Horn Meadery and co-host of the Drinking Horn Meadcast. And I'm Anna Van Balen in Los Angeles, California, the other host of Every Day is a Food Day and your resident food philosopher. You guys got all that? Today, the ladies from Every Day is a Food Day are going to tell us about Mead's many, many cameos in ancient mythology from around the world, plus some Mead holidays and celebrations where you can get your buzz on. And the guys from the Meadcast are going to tell us all about their devotion to the potion, adventures with bees and brewing, and how Mead might just save the planet and save you that hangover. Be sure to follow both Every Day is a Food Day and the Drinking Horn Meadcast wherever you get your podcasts. First things first, Food Day listeners, what's the requirement for Leah and I when we do an episode about alcohol? That's right, we have to be drinking it. Evan and Nick very generously sent us a few bottles from their meadery, and uh, we're going to crack one open. So guys, what are we drinking first? I think we're going to start today off with a little bit of pomegranate mead. If Nick, if you want to get that poured up, and, uh, oh, yeah. and I'll start talking about it. I'm showing it off. Oh, it's beautiful. Oh, sexy. It's yeah. it's a nice deep red color, almost a, almost a violet, if I could tell the difference between those. And uh, <laughs> it's got a little bit of carbonation to it. And kind of to start off with mead in general, it's fermented honey. So that's where that's where all the good stuff, all the alcohol comes from, fermented honey out of there. Ooh, I can I just popped the cap off, and it smells so good. It's it's kind of dangerous stuff. This one's about thirteen percent alcohol, and it and it tastes it goes down like a fruit juice. So you just Whoa. think you're drinking juice, and then you all of a sudden your couch is on fire. You don't know where your pants are. It's been you know, it's crazy. <laughs> this sounds fun. That happens when I drink Kool Aid anyway. So <laughs> so a little bit of carbonation in this one. We use a, a forced carbonation method. We don't do any sort of like letting the yeast you know do their natural carbonation. It's really hard in brewing to get that carbonation right. If you uh, just let the yeast do their thing, you usually end up with explosive bottles. So we just force carbonate that guy in there. And it's a nice, juicy pomegranate flavor. A lot of the pomegranates come right out of Arizona. We try to use as much in the way of local fruit as we can. All the honey comes locally from about uh, just a few miles south of where our production studio is here. 
Wow, that is so cool to be hyper local with how you make your mead. That's amazing. We're trying to support our local beekeepers as much as possible. And we're going mm -hmm. through 3,000 pounds plus of honey every month right now. So we're doing a good job trying to support those local beekeepers. Whoa, 3,000 pounds? Yeah, yeah, fair amount of honey. <laughs> That's a lot of honey. How much honey would you say like goes into making um, your 500 mil bottle? It'll have about a quarter to a half a pound of honey, depending on kind of just, you know, how sweet we want it to end up being. Mm -hmm. Finishing sugar on this one is sitting, we use SG, which is like standard gravity as a measurement for it. I mean, it's sitting about 10, 14, 10, 12. But like if you, if you put a, a soda, like a Coke onto standard gravity, you'd be at like 1045 or something like that. Oh, so it's wow. it's not as sweet as people think it is. I think a lot of times people think it's more sweet than it is because of like honey we're just associating with the the smells and the flavor mm -hmm. we associate with that sweetness, but most of the sugar's been fermented out into delicious delicious alcohol. Yeah, this tastes so lovely. I think just like you were saying Evan, when I first heard about mead and I thought, uh, it's just going to be thick and sweet. I don't know if I'm going to like that. And the first bottle of mead I had, it was like, it was nothing like what I had envisioned at all. To me, this pomegranate, oh, it's amazing. I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. That's mm -hmm. a huge component of what we wanted to get across to people was that, because a lot of the commercial meads that are out there are like thick, syrupy, you could eat them with a spoon. And we wanted something that like, after you had a little tiny taster of, you're like, oh, can I get like an adult sized glass of that? Like, do you, do you have it in pints? <laughs> <laughs> so how big of bottles can we really get? <laughs> right? Before I drink this, I just have to confess that this is my first ever mead. Yes. Wow. Yay! Oh my God, it's so good. It is, isn't it? You guys, I was really worried. <laughs> <laughs> what were you thinking, Anna, before no, you tried it? I was you worried I was going to hate it. And then I got to drink three of these and like, uh, <laughs> act like I love it because I don't. No, it's really good. Oh, my gosh. I think I was imagining maybe like a flavored beer, mm, mm -hmm. you know, because sometimes you get a fruity beer or like something that's flavored in that way. But this is its own thing. That's a big part of what we want to, again, show people through Drinking Horn is that it is its own thing. People call it honey wine, or like you said, maybe they t think it's going to be flavored like beer. Um, but yeah, meat is meat is a category all to itself for sure. Mm -hmm. Cool. Y'all, this is dangerous. <laughs> I'm like <laughs> looking at the other two bottles and <laughs> this one. I'm scared. Yeah. My immediate thought was I'm in trouble. It's only 242 in Los Angeles right now, guys. So um, uh -oh. this might be what I'm doing for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, how many times that's happened. Yes. <laughs> You're going to get to experience some of those better qualities of mead where you get done with this. You'll, you'll probably be feeling pretty good after three different meads. And uh, you just drink a little water and like you, you sober up like you never even drank. It's fantastic. Amazing. Wow. Well, before we dive into talking deep about mead, why don't you guys tell our listeners a little bit about your show? One of the main components that we kind of just discussed was trying to get the word out there about mead and what mead can be. And so a platform like a podcast, I feel like can be a great avenue to not only just reaching people, but maintaining their interest in, and telling new fans even more and deeper things about it. What I love about the Meadcast is it's not just about one subject, uh, not just about mead, but we can also dive into bees and honey, the ingredients. Um, there's so much to talk about, as you guys already know, about bees and honey. And then we've got our other component, since we have the Mead Hall and we are drinking horn, we pull from the the Norse part of the culture of mead. And so we get to talk about 
awesome Viking stuff as well. Like <laughs> the mythology and you guys talked about the meat of poetry. That's just one story that kind of gives you a taste, a taste of the, uh, the mead culture that's enveloped in those stories. Yeah. So the mead cast is a, is not only just an avenue to educate people, but I mean, to be completely honest, it's a way that me and Evan can chill out from work and take, even though it is still work and uh, drink a couple glasses of mead and, and hang out and talk about some cool stuff. And so, yeah, that's, that's our mead cast in a, you know, in a nutshell or in a hive, if you will. Uh, <laughs> it's bees, uh, honey, uh, mead, and cool Viking stuff. Love it. Love it. We are going to wear out the pun belt today, guys. Like, it got a workout in our honey episode, but today... Oh, I know. Poor thing's going to be begging for birthdays. <laughs> that was awesome, Nick. So thanks for telling us and our listeners all about the Drinking Horn Mead Cast. And for the folks in your hive, just a little bit about Every Day is a Food Day. Anna and I love to talk about stories, scandals, holidays and heroes all behind our favorite foods, everything from french fries to popcorn to apple pie and to honey, which is how we got here today. And Anna actually has a fun story of how we connected with you all. Yeah. So if you're a longtime Food Day listener and you listen to the honey episode, I gave a shout out to these guys. So... (laughs) One of the things that we love to talk about, Leah mentioned food scandals, is food scandals and food crimes. And people, there are so many of them. You would not believe. We've talked about things like in our fruitcake episode, (laughs) there was an accountant (laughs) at a fruitcake company in Texas that embezzled $13 million in fruitcake money. I didn't even know people bought that much fruitcake. Oh, yes. buy a lot of fruitcake. People buy a lot of fruitcake. Mm -hmm. We also did an episode about poisonous foods and talked about famous poisonings throughout history. Again, there are so many. And then kind of the Mac Daddy of all food crimes is the great maple syrup heist. We talked about in the maple syrup episode, which if you don't know, some sketchy people over the course of a year stole hundreds of thousands of gallons of maple syrup from the Canadian strategic maple syrup reserve warehouses in Montreal, all of which is a real thing. So I had heard a story about the hive heists, about people stealing other people's hives, beekeeper on beekeeper crime. And I went to look a little deeper into that for researching the episode to kind of come up with the topic. And there were so many bee and honey crimes. I couldn't believe it. There's the honey laundering. Again, (laughs) respect. Whoever came up with that term, respect. A government worker. A government worker. Came up with that. Earned their pension. Mm -hmm. That's what our tax dollars are being used for. (laughs) Brainstorming epic food puns. And uh, smuggling, the hive heist, all kinds of things. And so I was doing research for that. I listened to a whole bunch of podcasts and I just loved the Meadcast. I thought you guys were the most well-researched. You're super sincere because, you know, your hearts are so much in this and it was entertaining. So I went to your website and the first thing I see was (laughs) it said, pleased to meet you. And I was like, oh, oh, these are our people. (laughs) (laughs) Puns of steel. Puns of steel. Oh, yes. (laughs) Love it. So reached out to you guys and you checked us out and we connected. So I got to ask, what did you guys think of our honey episode? I mean, embarrassingly, you guys did way more research uh, and in-depth, <laughs> uh, you know, education than we did. So I was I was actually on a run while I was listening to that. And I just kept like rewinding and being like, I didn't know that. Like there was definitely a lot of like you guys dig in deep. And that's what I'm I'm glad we connected because I found you guys podcast and it's um I, I don't know. It's awesome. I mean, I could sit here and, you know, talk about how genuine you guys are and how much research you do. And like it's a joy to listen to and you're entertaining and, you know, not all 
all podcast. Everyone does a podcast, right? And not all of them are that good. And you guys is, it just, I don't know. I love it. It's great. I know there was a, a lot about the heists and those crimes that we didn't look into, a lot of the details that you went into there. And so that was one of the things that caught my attention was that there is even more than me and Evan discovered. You guys dug even deeper into there and found more of these big numbers and, and money or honey laundering, rather, things that are going on. And so it's just, it's amazing. It is really kind of mind-blowing how lucrative uh, crimes with honey can be and bees crimes with bees not just the honey but stealing mm-hmm. the bees and some of the things you were talking about with the beekeeper on beekeeper crime um, was really <laughs> interesting and when you talked about not being able to tell whether it's a beekeeper's bees or not because they're in, in a bee suit so you can't identify them you're like oh that must be charlie over there with his bees and <laughs> meanwhile it's like you know john instead of charlie and he's heisting them so i thought that was really beekeeper really, uh, john again <laughs> uh, right man old john it's not that big of a community <laughs> either you know like as nick was saying like you guys did a lot of research into just figuring out like how much of that stuff is going on and there's not that many beekeepers so it's a mm-hmm. good chance that it really is somebody that they know each other and they're like oh yeah your hives are over in uh, the the southern almond field right now are they <laughs> okay thank you you're not gonna be there for a week excellent <laughs> You're going out of town? Hmm. (laughs) It almost feels like an Agatha Christie, like the thief is in the room. Mm -hmm. You have like beekeeper convention, beekeeper meeting. Totally. It's one of these people. Who's it going to be? If you're, yeah, in a convention and you look around, like there's a whatever percentage chance that someone in there is a thief. I never (gasps) thought about that. Man, you really got to be careful out there. No, I feel like we're just giving you guys nightmares. (laughs) Yeah, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be picking up honey tomorrow. I'm gonna be like eyeballing the beekeeper. I'm like, are these all really your bees? Are they though? <laughs> so in the episode, I predicted that your Ren Fair costumes are on point. <laughs> are your Ren Fair costumes in fact on point? Because I may or may not have seen a YouTube video that involved costumes. I wouldn't say they're fully on point, to be honest with you. <laughs> Just because like that, I mean, we thought they were on point until we start doing some of these festivals and things like that. And you get to really see some of these people that like build their own chain mail and all this stuff and like sitting there, like knitting all of the metal pieces together into like full suits and like, like ah. forging their own weapons. And yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's, we, we have a decent setup for sure. Mostly because Nick's likes to do all those videos and it's good for advertising and it's fun too. Our Killing Them With Kindness series. We're always trying to promote people just being nice to each other. There's a lot of mean folk in the world. We want to promote niceness and mead. That's awesome. No room for mean with mead. (laughs) You're not officially in that society of creative anachronists. No, no. They they do take over the mead hall periodically, especially do they? yeah. Now that the weather is getting warmer out there, they come every Sunday and they pretty much take up the whole long table, which fits like 25, 30 people, and they're all Amazing. dressed up in garb and like they. Whoa. It's pretty fun time. People come in the front door and they like bang on the table and go ah, and it startles the crap out of people, and it's it's pretty it. fun. But then as somebody's leaving, they'll all go oh. And they turn around and they buy another bottle before they leave. So it helps us out too. It's good. That's wonderful. You've got your very own LARPers. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. All right. Well, now that we're warmed up and we've got some meat in us, why don't Evan, you tell us all about your journey to a meadery? 
Yeah. So I, I started out as a, well, I guess started out, started out as a baby, but I was a fish biologist <laughs> before I started the meadery. I kind of was looking for a different job. I've got two kids and at the time they were pretty young and I got really tired of hearing the, uh, oh, do you remember when? No, you weren't there. Do you remember when? Oh, you weren't there. Cause my job as a fish biologist kept me away in the field for months at a time sometimes. Mm. And uh, like you, you literally start ending up feeling more comfortable sleeping on the sand than you do in a bed. And it starts to get a little weird. So I was looking for a change in career. And when my wife and I got married, I wanted to be a little romantic and bust out a whole bunch of mead because the word honeymoon is tied in with mead. You're supposed to have enough honey wine to last a moon cycle. Oh. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of history. As you guys have found, like there's a ton of history of mead sort of sprinkled throughout our culture. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to just sort of express my romantic side. It's not my best side. I'm working on it. And uh, <laughs> we made a whole bunch of mead for the wedding. And when folks came out, they drank all the mead and didn't touch any of the beer. We had three kegs of beer from one of the local breweries and nobody drank any of it. And they were coming back the next day after the wedding and they're like, you got any more of that mead stuff? So I was like, well, maybe this is Were you and your wife like, "Uh, we're busy? Yeah, seriously, yeah. Come back in a week, God. Why why are you knocking? This is the day after I got married. I'm not supposed to have to wear pants today. Get away from here. We started making mead. I never had any sort of design to really do anything besides just make mead and sell it wholesale. And that changed the first time around when Guy Fury came into our place and did his show here. This is Guy's family road trip. It's gonna be a wild ride. Well, the boys are hanging out with their new friends. Lori and I are gonna go check out Drinking Horn Meadery. I don't have any clue what a meadery is. All I know is that they're making some kind of booze. It's something different, it's something funky, and we're all gonna figure out what this is at the same time. Turns out mead is honey wine. Evan and Kelly Anderson make seven different kinds. He came in here, we're like the last like five minutes. We were only (laughs) supposed to be like a 30 second piece on there. And when he started trying the mead, he kind of had the same initial reaction that you guys did, where it was like, I've heard of it. You know, I heard about it in Game of Thrones, maybe, or Vikings or like one of those things, but I had never actually tasted it. Once he started drinking it, he really enjoyed it. And he's like, well, when this goes live, you gotta have like a tap room where people can drink this stuff and you gotta have online sales and you gotta have all this other stuff. So we kind of mm-hmm. initially started setting things up and building it. And it's just kind of, you know, at first you have to push the business and push, 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 push. And now it's like, you know, I'm, I'm grabbing the tiger by the tail and just trying to hold on. <laughs> That's awesome. I think it just goes to show though, like people enjoyed the mead from the first sip and they wanted more and you were kind enough to deliver and, and create your meadery and, and build this. Yeah, it's, it was fun. Nick actually was a huge part in, in helping me get started with stuff. I, like I said, I originally, I had no idea what I was doing. And I thought I would have a, uh, you guys can see the production here behind me, but I thought mm-hmm. I would have just like a library of carboys, which is like the big glass fermenting vessel that most people use. I mean, people even making kombucha and stuff use it. It's just a big fermenting glass vessel. And I thought I would have like a library of those and just be making it on like a much smaller scale. Nick Irvin there talked me into getting a, you know, a conical steel fermenter. And then the guy we bought fermenters from and got me to buy a four barrel. And so it just kind of, same thing. It just sort of kept growing and growing and growing. We opened up the mead hall in September, 2019, thinking that 2020 was just going to be awesome. And, uh, Uh 
2020 was what 2020 was and uh, made our way through that though and got got it all built out and it gave us a lot of extra time with the shutdown and everything to be able to kind of put some of our own fine-tuning touches on it the whole facade on the bar is like all beehives on it it's really fun made all the bar top myself and a bunch of the tables and stuff and so it was it was a lot of fun building everything out whoa And I have read that part of what started the engine revving on Mead in the last decade or so was shows like Game of Thrones or Viking. Have you noticed kind of a correlation between that kind of pop culture aspect of it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's been meteries around for nearly 20, 30 years or something like that. And it's just never been very popular at all. But it's kind of in the it's in the zeitgeist right now. People are thinking about it. And so it's it definitely helps sort of push things forward. And we've just been trying to kind of be in front of that wave and ride it not let it plow us over. And so we're drinking a pomegranate mead and we've got mm-hmm. a couple more options. Mm-hmm. How do you make a pomegranate mead or a mango mead or in any kind of mead? Very slowly. <laughs> uh, so like like beer is made in about like two weeks. You can go from an idea to actually being able to drink it. And with mead, when I was making it at home, it was year, year and a half that it would take to make something to actually get it all the way through to the point that like you wanted somebody to drink it. Because there's definitely a bit of aging that needs to happen with it. When it's really fresh, it can kind of taste like something you might use to to power your vehicle. Uh, <laughs> it takes a good bit of time. So like with the commercial equipment, we've been able to refine that and get it down a whole lot further, but we're still sitting shortest time is probably three months or so. And it all starts with just mixing honey, water, and yeast together. We definitely try to make a product that doesn't have all kinds of extra junk in it. So we didn't want to use mm-hmm. sulfites. We didn't want to use sorbates. We didn't want to use any of those chemical preservatives to make a shelf stable product. And so we came up with kind of a filter system to allow us to bring it down to shelf stability and get all the yeast out with without having to deal with any of the chemicals that go into it. So you just basically mix up honey water and yeast. Uh, You stick it into one of these big shiny steel tanks and you let it sit there for about three weeks it takes to ferment. And then all the rest of the work after that is kind of like back end work. Mm -hmm. Like you have to try to cold crash them, which just gets the density to sort of work itself out so that all of the solids become the most dense thing within the container and they settle out to the bottom. And then you end up moving it from one container to another to get it off of that sediment. Uh, Otherwise you'll end up with a mead that tastes a lot like bread, which I mean, you know, everybody's got their own palate. I'm not, I'm not here to bad? yuck any yums. I mean, I love bread. <laughs> There's, some of them are great when they taste like bread. Our, we have a super dry plum mead that has a very like yeasty component to it and people love the taste of it. Mm. Gotta be careful about those barrels though, guys. That's a callback. That's a callback. <laughs> we need you guys to come up with your version of a callback. That's a callback. <laughs> Sorry. I think that, that's perfect. <laughs> So Evan, it sounds like making mead requires a lot of patience. Mm -hmm. That wait seems pretty long. Like, do you taste throughout as you're waiting to get your final product? Are you tasting it? Oh, every day. Continuous tasting. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, it's it's something that like you never really know exactly what you're going to end up with, especially when you're making something that's brand new. Like that, uh, the Mango Reaper that we're going to be having later is something that was a brand new mead to make on a big, big scale like that. And you just, it's always hard because we'll make little batches of things. But mm-hmm. when you when you scale up from five gallons to nearly 200, it's hard to know exactly how all those flavors are going to play together. Because just like cooking, like none of the flavors are linear as you increase it in size. 
So mm-hmm. it's, it's a little bit of work sometimes to try to try to rearrange and get those things, but you're always tasting it throughout and you kind of have to be able to, to taste it and envision not just what it tastes like, but what is it going to taste like? And so you get good mm. at picking out the sort of flavors of a clean fermentation and a healthy fermentation because you want to minimally stress out your yeast. Making alcohol is all about like point stresses for the yeast. You want them to mm-hmm. only be lacking oxygen and have everything else they need. <laughs> What flavors have you tried to make that just did not work? That you had to abandon halfway through? You're like, there's no way. There's no way this is going to be quaffable at the end of this process. And I tried to make a yellow watermelon mead. I'm never going to make it again. People are probably <laughs> going to hear it on this cast. And they're going to be like, oh, yeah, that sounds delicious. I'm like, no, it's not. It wasn't, it wasn't very good. Because the, the yellow watermelons don't like, I was looking for that juicy red, it's summertime, I'm biting into a slice of watermelon taste. Yeah. But I thought using the yellow ones would just be kind of unique and different from what else is out there. Yellow watermelons taste like cantaloupe. Mm. It was a cantaloupe mead. So. <laughs> hmm. What a bummer. No. Yeah. <laughs> you should have used honeydew. Oh. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honey is such like a gentle characteristics to it. It goes on so many things. I mean, it goes on everything from sweets to barbecue to everything else. The fermentation process doesn't end up providing much in the way of tannins or bitterness. And so it's, it really, you can, you can make just about anything into a mead. I was, I was contemplating a tomato mead just yesterday. I don't know if mm. we'll actually do it. Well, that was something I'm curious about, too. When you're sourcing your honey, are you looking for specific ones, like where people have their hives and what sorts of fields their hives are in? Yeah, absolutely. Varietals of honey are like extremely important and really kind of big in the the mead world, for sure, as well as in the culinary world, too. Here in the Southwest, we have mesquite honey, which is pretty unique to the area. And it just is from from the blossoms off of a mesquite tree. And it kind of we actually have a whole bunch of it in barrels that I'm that I'm actually hanging out right next to you right now. Um, but it gives it like a very kind of smoky almost flavor to it. We use a lot of orange blossom honey. So that's like kind of our Mm -hmm. main go-to is the orange blossom honey. And it all comes out of what's called uh, black Canyon. It's just North of Phoenix down there, um, where they have a bunch of orange orchards and orange blossom honey is one of the few honeys that actually tastes like its namesake. Mm. So lavender honey doesn't taste like lavender. Clover honey doesn't really taste like clover, but at the same time, just like with the honey laundering and everything else, like people people kind of put whatever label they want on things because honey isn't a highly regulated industry at this point. You have to take everything that somebody calls a honey with a bit of grain of salt. Like if somebody tries to sell you organic honey, you should probably be a little skeptical about it because a, a, a normal beehive, the bees that are coming in and out and working, the worker girls there, that's, that sounds terrible. Uh, the worker bees. <laughs> those those working, working girls. Those working girls. <laughs> We're keeping it. Leave it in. They have like a five mile radius around the hive. So they can be traveling a huge range. And unless you have your bees in like a warehouse, Mm -hmm. you wouldn't be able to tell what the bees are actually going after. And it takes some... 2 million visits to a flower to make a pound of honey. So it's really hard to be able to tell what exactly your bees are going for. So we've had some orange blossom that ends up tasting a little minty because there was a bunch of mint that was flowering near it and they were going after that. Um, Sometimes it can be a little spicy or peppery, but it's one of the things that's great about this size of batch that we're currently making. Once you get much above this, you're using so many different honeys that it starts to homogenize that flavor and you're not necessarily getting some of the small nuances that you do with smaller batches. That's cool. And have you ever kept your own bees? Raised your own bees? Created your own honey? We sure do. I guess they create the honey. You just steal it. 
Yeah, we're just we're just honey thieves. We're just honey thieves. But yeah, we do. We have a few hives um, down in Camp Verde that we use mostly for like educational purposes for stuff. Just like we were talking about with the Meadcast, we do a bunch of YouTube videos and stuff too, and just try to educate people about about bees. And so we use those hives for that. We tried to keep bees up here in Flagstaff, and it really just didn't work. And people are like, because of the cold winters, and it was actually like, no, because we get so many warm days in between our cold days up here. As soon as it gets above. 45 degrees, your bees are going to start hopping out, flying around, looking for food. Mm. We can get days in January where it's negative six. We can also get days in January where it's nearly 60. And as soon as it gets warm, bees come out, start flying around. There's nothing for them to eat. And so we would end up having to feed them a bunch of sugar water up here. Uh, which, yeah, exactly. Like, you don't want to make mead with sugar water. Then I might as well just be like fermenting the canned <laughs> sugar. Right. It's, it's gross. Well, this pomegranate is great. Mm-hmm. But... What else you got? <laughs> Let's crack open mead number two. Let's crack open mead number two. <laughs> uh, number two is going to be our lemon ginger, which just came out recently. Ooh. And it is another just kind of representative of a different style uh, of what you can get through mead. And Ooh. Evan is running over right now. Thank you, sir. Oh, I got to finish this one first. Drink <laughs> up. There we go. And lemon ginger used to be my favorite. Oh, used to be. Used to be, yes. And we will be drinking my favorite after this one. Ooh, spoilers. <laughs> I love a lemon mm. ginger kombucha. So I'm really excited about this. Oh. Yeah. Nice. Oh, now I'm nervous. Again, I'm just hit with the smell and already it's so bright. Ooh. We kicked up the ginger in this batch. So some of our seasonals only this come out once. Yeah, I love this. This feels like a breakfast mead. With lemon and ginger, like it's practically a health drink. Right? Got a <laughs> sore honey? throat? I Hello? feel so good right now. <laughs> You're talking about the sore throat right now. One of the great things I like to do, it's warming up around us right now, but in the wintertime, a great thing about mead is that you can also have it heated up. So mm -hmm. we will take our apple mead, or we've got one called metheglin, which is orange peel, black tea, and cinnamon, and heat that up on the stove. And then you can, you can throw in a little whiskey or bourbon in there, a little shot if you want to also. But it is such a great beverage. Depending on the style, I wouldn't necessarily warm up pomegranate. Mm. But yeah, apple, lemon, ginger, mm -hmm. even the traditional, oh, the mango reaper maybe, and mix it with some kind of tea as well is is a great way to drink it. I, I feel like it is. And, and we have a lot of customers. We always have two cocktails or we, uh, mead mixers at the mead hall. Mm -hmm. And one is hot and one is cold, at least through the spring through the fall season. And people love those hot mead mixers. Yeah, I saw on the, on the label that it said this is delicious with hot tea too. So I am definitely going to try that. Mm -hmm. I think I know what I'm leaving out for Santa this year. <laughs> <laughs> Santa, so lucky. Warm apple cinnamon mead. Mm -hmm. mm. So what do you guys think about that lemon ginger? God, it's so good. It's got a real kick. This is awesome. I am a ginger fan. Like, mm -hmm. well, I love lemon. I love ginger. I love alcohol, so it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> the trifecta has been These are a few of hit. her favorite yes. things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> These are a few of my favorite yeah. things. I've got lemon in my ice water over here, so I'm like mm. already primed. Nice. Oh man, I need to slow down though, guys, because we're I'm I'm gonna be three sheets to the wind by the time we get to my section, and I'm gonna be like <laughs> gods and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Nick, you were telling us at one point that. 
you could have like a bunch of mead one night, but still be able to get up early the next morning and go for a run and not feel, you know, like, oh, this is going to be tough. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So yeah, talking about some of the health benefits or not claims, you know, you can't claim health benefits, but some of the better things that I've experienced and a lot of people have experienced with mead. One of those, yes, is that there is a thing called congeners, which are basically, it's a fancy word for saying stuff in your drink. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are very limited, we talked about it's just water, yeast, and honey. And then, you know, obviously whatever, like fruits and stuff like that that you put in it. And so there's very limited things for your body to deal with, number one. And so the processing of it is a lot tamer on your body. And then also we've evolved as a species with honey for a lot of that time. You know, bees mm. were around a long time. Agriculture with grains and grapes in large quantities, that, that wasn't around. And so our bodies may just you know, be kinder to this. <laughs> and so I've definitely found, you know, anecdotally, I get a certain level of buzz on, you know, having a good time. And I start worrying because I'm supposed to get up and do something. Um, but that <laughs> alarm goes off. And as long as I've had a couple glasses of water, it's crazy, almost to the point of like, did I actually drink that much mead the night before? Whereas I can do that with beer or whiskey. And, you know, I'm just kind of like, oh, man, snooze button, snooze button. So so anyway, I, th- I think it is just kinder to the body. We've evolved with it. It's a simple drink. One of our mottos is live simply, drink simply. And mm-hmm. so we really take that to heart with this product. And that goes into not adding sulfites and sulfates as well. I know that can have an effect on people. And so by Evan creating this production um, kind of protocol that takes that out of the equation, man, it not only tastes better, but I know my body's happier having that. Mm -hmm. And then just, I mean, the honey, you know, we all have heard the benefits of honey as an anti-inflammatory kind of thing. I want to get this out to all you people out there, all you people out there, all the party people, um, (laughs) actually not the party people, all the people out there like running long distances, mountain biking, climbing, doing big hikes, backpacking, that kind of thing. I want to put it out to you guys that the anti-inflammatory properties in honey come through in this mead and it is a great recovery beverage. People talk about beer as a great recovery beverage and yeah, it's got like this carbohydrate kind of balance, but oh my gosh, mead as a recovery beverage for athletes, at least those who might have a drink after a big push, mm-hmm. big thumbs up for me. I want to get that word out there. You got to start doing those, uh, some mead runs then. I always, I have friends who always do beer runs where they're doing some kind of like half marathon or 5k and then it always ends up at a brewery and i mean it sounds like we need to have more mead runs i might start running (laughs) this sounds like a great way to incentivize people to like start running because i know personally i have a rule that i only run if something's chasing me (laughs) me too (laughs) but if i knew that it ended in one of these meads I think about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think about it. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I, I run for fear and fear alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have to be running. <laughs> well, I love seeing too, like me, you know, it's gluten-free, right? That's something that I have been seeing a lot of with my snack company, Yum Day, is the desire and the want for more gluten-free snack products, gluten-free foods. And so I love this. This is such a great alternative yeah. for folks who are trying to have gluten-free diets. Yep. Absolutely. 100% gluten-free through the whole process. There's a way that beers can become gluten reduced, but this is 100% mm-hmm. gluten free all the way through. Yeah, you don't have the inflammation potentially from the grains. So, yeah, it's awesome. Unless we barrel age it. A lot of times, if we're barrel aging, we're putting it into a barrel that's had, you know, whiskey or whatever in it beforehand. Mm-hmm. And so then you can pick up some gluten in, in the barrel aged stuff. But the majority of our meat isn't barrel aged. And so it's just naturally gluten free, easy drinking. I'm telling you, the barrels, they're nothing but trouble. <laughs> <laughs> 
between all the food crimes and all the true crime and, you know, Breaking Bad where people are just getting dissolved in barrels, I'm just like, barrels equal shady shit. That's it. <laughs> it's it. Oh. Which episode of you guys is, is that, that that people or listeners can go right to if, if all of a sudden they want to hear about this shady barrel The barrels? Stuff? The maple yeah. syrup episode is where the, the barrel paranoia started. Yeah. Barrel paranoia. I love it. Yeah. And then it just keeps creeping up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's weird. It's always barrels now. Always barrels. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, the honey episode. Barrels play a big part. Mm-hmm. It's making me nervous now. I keep looking over my shoulder at these <laughs> barrels. I'm worried that they're creeping up on me. Got to install some more cameras. (laughs) (laughs) That barrel's closer to me. What the heck happened? In our honey episode, we talked a lot about how there are several crops that are actually kind of hurtful for bees. You know, lack of biodiversity, monoculture, things like almonds. And so that is hurting the bees and therefore creating kind of bigger climate crises or bigger environmental crises. How do you find meat affects the environment as opposed to like beer or some something else? Oh, minimal effect. I mean, compared to some of the other beverages and one of, one of the biggest components of that, and I think one of the bigger components moving forward that people are going to start thinking more and more about is, is water consumption. Mm-hmm. And, and beer is the least of some of the other ones. But like if for a liter of beer, you're looking at close to 300 liters of water to make that liter of beer. And that includes both all of the like production, the brewing, all of that stuff, as well as the upstream costs of actually growing that grain. And that's where that huge number comes in. Wine's even worse. I think uh, wine is sitting somewhere between like seven and 800 liters of water for a liter of wine. Wow. With mead, we don't have to water our bees. You're mostly trying to protect them from other bee thieves. That's, that's your biggest <laughs> right? component there. They prefer yeah. you don't water them, I bet. Yeah, they, they yeah, do prefer yeah. it. They, they tend to just drown. So it's, yeah, you <laughs> definitely don't, definitely don't want to water them. Definitely don't want I learned that. I learned it. Aww. No, our bees are fine. They're good and dry. Don't worry. <laughs> so for mead, you're looking at somewhere between three and four liters of water to make a liter of mead. Wow. And if you drink a liter of mead, you have probably, at least of our mead, you have drank too much mead. that's incredible that gap in water use for mead versus beer and then wine and distilled oh my gosh that's crazy yeah it makes sense if you don't have to grow grain Mm -hmm. in order to make it but i wouldn't have thought about it unless you pointed it out Mm -hmm. bees are used very commonly for a whole lot of pollination factor Mm -hmm. where they're just like you know like you guys talked about but you don't need that for them you can just have bees out in the middle of the desert and they collect plenty of honey it just makes life a whole lot more environmentally sound when you don't have to worry about that water component especially in the year like it is right here where we're arizona is going into deeper and deeper water restrictions with lake powell and lake mead hitting all-time record lows on stuff so it's it's going to become more important as as things move forward and i'm hoping people start to think about that because if you decide to drink mead instead of drinking beer, that means you can have like a 30 minute shower and still feel good about yourself. It's beautiful. I like it. Drink mead, smell better. Sip sustainably. (laughs) We definitely play off the like, you know, save a horse, ride a cowboy sort of thing. And we have a uh, save water, drink mead. Love it. Beautiful. We made (laughs) t-shirts. We we made t-shirts, yeah. All right, that was great, guys. Mm-hmm. I feel good from the buzz of the mead, and I feel good about myself for drinking this mead. Bees do make the best buzz. Mm-hmm. Well played.
So on me and Evan's Drinking Horn Meadcast, 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 we definitely talk a lot about the Vikings and the Norse culture and some of that stuff, but bees are all mm-hmm. over the world. And so there are stories that abound through all cultures. And I know that's y'all's specialty is looking at that. So are there any cool stories about bees around the world or mead mythology around the world? So many. In, in fact, the bar was set pretty high for mead since I'd spent all this time researching that it was nectar of the gods, that there was rivers of it running through heaven, that it was all, you know, the, the bar was set pretty high, you guys. So I appreciate you meeting it, uh, <laughs> meeting it <laughs> with your mead. But yes, on food day, we talk a lot about foods that are, uh, you know, they're kind of in the everybody's got a version category. So like, again, fruitcake. Every culture has some version of cake with fruit in it or like Mm. a dessert bread with fruit in it. Another is uh, hand pies. Mm -hmm. We talked about this in the takeout episode, I believe. Yeah. I mean, it's a container. Exactly. (laughs) Made of food. You know, whether it's like an empanada or a pierogi Mm -hmm. or a turnover, every culture has some version of a hand pie. And mead, some kind of fermented honey drink, totally falls into that category of everybody has a version of mead. There's evidence of honey in ancient cultures in China, India, Greece, Mexico, Egypt, Germany, Wales, like you name it. We're familiar with the Northern European version, which is kind of what we've been talking about. So I was going to tell you about a couple of others that I thought were really interesting. Cool. So one is an East African version called Tej. Have you guys ever had Tej? Absolutely, with a little bit of Gesha root in there. Yes, what? exactly. So tell me more. <laughs> it's from Ethiopia and also drunk in Eritrea, which is just north of Ethiopia. And it's honey, water, and Gesho, a medicinal herb that gives it a funk, makes it a little funky. <laughs> it has the look and consistency of orange juice. So it must be a little less filtered than what you guys yeah. are making. A little pulpy. A little pulpy. Mm. But it's also ancient. So the oldest evidence of mead comes from places like India and China from something insane like 40,000 years ago, which I have no reference point for. I'm American. A hundred years is a really long time. So let's just say it's super old. And researchers have found evidence of Tej being drunk and used in rituals during excavations in a city called Aksum, which was the capital of the ancient Aksumite Empire that existed from 80 BC to 825 AD. So that's not quite 40,000 years ago, but pretty freaking old, right? Wow. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Now, prior to the 1900s, Tej was only consumed by the king and anyone who was in his physical presence. Mm. Oh, so it was very special. You wanted to get on his calendar (laughs) Uh so that you could have some Tej. Uh, And it was only produced in the houses of the ruling classes. And honey was actually so valuable in Ethiopia that at one point it was used to pay taxes and rent. It was actually currency. Mm. They relaxed a little bit. So it's now made and drunk by pretty much everyone and has become officially the country's national drink. As I was reading about it, it reminded me of Jinjinha, which is something we talked about in our Portuguese food episode. So Jinjinha is a liqueur made from fermented sour cherries. And it's kind of like their official drink. And you can both get fancy versions in the gift shops. And everybody's got a jug of like hooch Jinjinha, like under a windowsill somewhere. And it the Tej sounded like that a lot too. Like you could buy the fancy stuff in the hotel bars. But what you really want is like grandma's jug of Tej that's like in the back room, right? <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, man. Fermented honey drinks, they're also in the Americas because there's an ancient Mayan version as well. 
The Mayan civilization dates back to 2000 BC, and Mayan cultural influence still thrives in Mexico, especially in the Yucatan region. And beekeeping was very popular. Bees were considered sacred and also kind of like part of the family, which is something I also saw in Celtic lore as well, which we'll talk about in a second. So there was two mead-ish, mead-adjacent beverages that I discovered. One is called Ishtabenchun. Sorry. I don't speak Mayan. I speak Spanish, but not Mayan. Ishtabentun. Uh, why am I pronouncing it like it's German? Tin? What is happening? It's, it's got, in your blood, Anna. It's, it's in my blood. Oh, it's got, it's it's got just, that ish in it. It's got mm-hmm. the ishtabentun. I just put an umlaut over it. I can't help it. So that's a honey drink in the Yucatan. And then balche is a honey fermented with water and the bark of a balche tree. And sometimes they add psychedelics like mescaline, peyote, or mushrooms mixed into it. I'm assuming to just give it a vibe. To just... (laughs) Gives it that extra little kick to it. Have a deeper Mm -hmm. experience, you know. So this is this is one of the only times I'm actually taking notes for some reason was on oh, that wow. one right there. So okay, so Balche. All right, I right, mm-hmm. got it. Continue. Okay, good. <laughs> and valuable consumables, foods, you know, crops that were really really integral to society there were considered to be controlled by gods. That's how important they were. So there actually is a Mayan god of bees and honey called Ah Muzankab. The images of it are really interesting. It's like a bee with its arms and legs spread out upside down. It looks very, very cool. Hmm. That's a good segue that it has a sort of mystical element to it because meat is so old. Fermented honey drinks are so old and they're part of all these ancient civilizations that it ended up in a bunch of their myths. And we actually talked about the Norse myth of the blood of poetry in our honey episode. Leah gave us a great, concise and uh, titillating version. There was like dwarf murder... Mm -hmm. There was all kinds of just like blood drinking. And uh, I know you guys have talked about it a lot on the Meadcast. So instead of going back over the Norse stuff, we're going to talk about a few other places in their myths. So the first one is Greek mythology. We've probably heard the phrase nectar of the gods. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're talking about mead, (laughs) y'all. Nectar of the gods. Mead was thought to be drunk on Mount Olympus by the gods. It was rumored that Aphrodite served it to her lovers. Oh, Mm -hmm. okay. Smart. Uh, Her gentleman callers or whatever she was into that day. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And because it was the nectar of the gods, it was thought to give you sort of godly attributes like long life, strength, virility, intelligence, fertility, things like that. Is mead an aphrodisiac? Hmm, guys. Yeah, that's that's part of that whole honeymoon thing. Like part of the reason it was used in the honeymoon is that mead is supposed to, and this is, I think this is mostly maybe Greek or Norse culture is where I'm pulling this from, but that mead was supposed to help increase virility and fertility. And so that's why you were supposed to drink mead for an entire moon cycle. Oh. It helps make a da babies. Okay. <laughs> it's, t- it's all coming together. Interesting. <laughs> that makes me a little skeptical because of listening to you guys' deep dive into aphrodisiacs, which I listened to, uh, your <laughs> episode on that, which is super interesting to, to hear about how many there are. And I don't know, did you guys say honey or mead in that whole list? You guys listed something like it was like 50 different items <laughs> that were aphrodisiacs, like Pez yeah. candy and like some stuff like that. I don't know. But. Yeah. I don't remember if honey or mead was on there, mead. but we might as well tack it on. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Guys, you heard it here first. From every day is a food day. 
And the Meadcast. Meadcast, Meadcast. Meadcast, Meadcast. <laughs> it's liquid bubbly Viagra. That's right. Get in on it. <laughs> Number 51. There we go. Oh, Evan, we need Yep, we need to use that, Evan. Yeah, yep. Mead, it's liquid Viagra. There we go. <laughs> you just need to make a blue one. <laughs> I'm already picturing the most terrible advertisement for it ever. We're definitely going to get in trouble for it. <laughs> <laughs> but sales will be through the roof. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. I mean, if somebody can claim that arugula is an aphrodisiac, right. I feel like there's carte blanche to uh, to claim meat and honey is as well. Yeah, there'd be conceptions all over Whole Foods all the time if that was the case. <laughs> <laughs> but this is something I thought was really cool, was they believed that mead sort of descended from heaven and gathered on the plants, and that's what dew is. Whoa. Oh, and then... The bees would gather up the dew, the nectar, to be collected and prepared for the humans. So the bees were kind of doing God's work. Hmm. Doing God's work? Yes, Leah. Ha! They were doing God's work. (laughs) I love it. And then once grapes were introduced to Southern Europe, wine became more of a thing, became more of a preferred drink. But mead was so revered and people truly believed that it would bring all of those attributes that even after it was, you know, not the most popular drink out there, it it stayed part of Greek ceremonies for a very, very long time because it was so revered. Which is kind of interesting because it really just sort of dropped out of our historical reference. Like there's a ton of old stuff, there's a ton of myths, there's a ton of history. And then at a certain point, like whatever, dark ages-ish, somewhere in that realm, like it just sort of drops out of history. And it's like people just, and I don't know if it was just because grapes were cheaper or grapes are more available. I've heard people say that it's because the wax all of a sudden started becoming more valuable than the honey. And so people were less interested in trying to save the honey and they were more interested in using the wax for candles with like kind of the rise of the Catholic church and that sort of thing. And so we started shifting over to a grape-based beverage instead of the mead. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think that it the places where it stayed more prominent, more popular, more part of the culture were the places that grapes didn't grow. So like Scandinavia. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you guys, you talked about the the meat of poetry and that kind of Norse myth, but uh, hearing about that mead's got me thirsty for possibly some <laughs> some more of any kind of Northern Europe or Norse culture. Do you have anything else to give us with that? Oh yeah, the Celts. The Celts were mm. all about the mead. <laughs> Bees in Celtic culture were seen as being very intelligent and sensitive and even having souls. They were kind of like sentient beings. This is super interesting to me because their myths about bees were very much tied to death. The presence of a bee after a death signified the soul being carried away from the body. In their mythology, honey and mead were actually part of the afterlife. So in Celtic heaven, which is called the Otherlands or Avalon, was believed to have rivers of mead. Running through paradise. You think one bottle is dangerous. Right? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just imagining like a Willy Wonka situation. Yeah. Augustus. Augustus. (laughs) Drinking it from the Just gets sucked in the tube. Evan, you're getting too far. Oh, there goes Evan. Okay. (laughs) I had no chance. He's got a smile on his face. Went down happy. Yeah. (laughs) And there was this super fascinating tradition called the telling of the bees. Have you guys ever heard of this? No, I haven't. I've never heard of that. Okay, so beekeeping, having hives at homes or, you know, family farms was very common. And since they were considered sentient a kind of part of the family, it meant that the people who owned them needed to show them respect by telling them news about the family. So any changes, weddings, births, departures, and especially 
deaths. It was thought that bees were so intelligent and sensitive that they actually mourned. People would actually, I saw etchings and things of people putting black sashes over the hives to indicate that the bees also were in mourning. Whoa. Do you, do you just tell like one bee or do you, do you try to find the queen and tell her? Do you whisper it like into the front mm-hmm. of the hive? Sister died. They have a PA system? <laughs> you, yeah, tell the one and the one goes back and does their waggle dance to yeah. tell oh, no. the other bees. The saddest, the saddest waggle dance. dance. <laughs> The saddest waggle dance ever. (laughs) And if you didn't tell them this, but they found out, they could feel disrespected, they could get angry, and they could either leave, abandon you, there'd be colony collapse. (gasps) Or they'd stop producing the honey for you, or they'd swarm. They'd attack you like you went out there in Ugg boots. That's a callback. Oh, no. That might be why my bees are so angry is I don't tell them enough Evan, about what's going on. you're not telling them? No, I just, I just go down there and I'm like, what's up, bees? Slap them on top of the hive. How you doing? <laughs> it could also Maybe be the slapping the they don't like. <laughs> yeah. You might be onto something. <laughs> Man, I wasn't telling them because I thought you were telling them the family news. Oh, no. Uh, oh, Oh, man. And the Ugg boots. You're saying Ugg boots are not good to have around a hive? <laughs> that was a bit of a callback to the honey episode. You're going to have to listen for that. Just wear white. Don't look like a bear. White, mm-hmm. shiny, you'll be fine. Yeah. And that practice of the telling of the bees actually continued into the 19th century in Western Europe and in North America. Oh, really? rut Evan's finished his second one. <laughs> oh, my. Okay. There's another Celtic, Celtic-adjacent legend that I thought was interesting of King Lude. So speaking of a river of mead being dangerous. Lude like. No, it's L-L-U-D. So maybe no. it's almost like, whoa. Oh. Maybe it's Lud. But now. I like Lude. I understand yeah, yeah. that that's the immediate thought. So you know what? Let's go with it. Whatever the first image was in your head, I want you to go with it. King so, no pants. <laughs> King inappropriate jokes. <laughs> So his kingdom was being attacked by dragons. And so what he d- mm. he did is he commanded his armies to dig ditches and fill them with mead. And then the dragons were attracted to the mead. They landed in the ditches. They drank the mead. They got so inebriated that they fell asleep. And they slept so well <gasps> that they slept through being bound with fabric and buried in the ditch. Oh my. That's a true story. Well, I mean, that's where the saying comes from. You can catch more dragons with mead. <laughs> <laughs> Than with plain dirt. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is awesome. I don't know what it says about me or that my age or that I'm getting older or whatever, but my first thought was, God, I would love to sleep that well. <laughs> <laughs> well, just keep drinking. Yeah, you've got a whole nother bottle. And you're on your way. <laughs> There's still one more mead to go. You'll see how you sleep. Oh, see, yeah. Well, see. I'm going to get through this last myth. This is actually a superstition. And then we'll crack open that last one. So this one comes courtesy of my dad. Oh, Dr. Van Valen. Dr. Van Valen. So I come from an entire family of academics and professors, and my father's love language is random facts. (laughs) Hey, I got an engineer for a dad. I know how that works. There you go. So I know when he's listened to an episode because all of a sudden I'll get a text of like 800 random facts about whatever the subject food was, complete with like links to source material and a viewing or reading list. Wow. I love the study guides that he shares. Yes. It's so sweet. Did you know? Dr. Van sends us all kinds of supplemental materials, but he's a linguist. So this is a kind of a language superstition. So 
med, the root med, means honey. So a lot of versions of mead and honey have the word med in them or the root med. Including in Russian or Slavic languages, medvedits means bear. Hmm. So the med means honey and vedits means eats. So the literal translation of bear is honey eater. (laughs) Oh, okay. And there's even a region and a river in the Volga area, Volgastad, Volgograd, one of those. (laughs) It's either a shtad or a grad called the Medavitsa, which is literally translates to she-bear. And the reason why the word for bear is not ursu or orso or one of those is because they had sort of a, I don't know, Beetlejuice superstition that if you said the actual name, you would conjure it. This area is a very, very rich river valley. The river itself is full of tons of kinds of fish And the forest around it is super lush. So it's basically bear heaven. Mm -hmm. So the people who lived in this valley were very afraid of the bears. The bears were a menace. They were going to hurt them or at least eat all the fish that they needed. (laughs) So they stopped saying a direct word of bear and started referring to them as honey eaters so that they would not conjure the presence of the bears. That's kind of common in a lot of cultures, like avoid avoid saying the direct name of things for fear of calling it back, whether out of out of respect or fear, either one. Right. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was very cool. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Dr. Van. Yeah. Aww. For that. That's and if you guys are interested, I have lots of supplemental reading materials and, and, uh, and sources <laughs> on that one. Absolutely. So now we know all about mead, but before Leah tells us all the excuses we have to drink it with our holidays and our celebrations, uh, I got a need, a need for more mead. (laughs) Need for mead. For a third mead. What's our last mead, guys? This next one, I'm going to- I'm so pumped about this Are you excited? (laughs) So this mead kind of originated because we started letting like kind of all the guys in the back have a little bit of say in how things were done and how things were fermented and what we were trying to make because a lot of them are home brewers as well. We would make them in small like five gallon batches and we would just serve them on tap basically as like a cocktail. And um, <laughs> we came out with this one and it was the Mango Reaper. And so being in the Southwest, once again, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that like Ooh. Chipotle mango candy that's like mm-hmm. super common out mm-hmm. this way. And I, I grew up on that stuff growing up in Albuquerque. And when uh, one of the brewers decided to make this one, we wanted to make it so that it wasn't so spicy as to scare people off, but spicy enough for the spicy people. Mm. The spicy Ooh. people. The spicy middle ground. The spicy middle ground. And uh, we, you know, we made the five gallon batch, it was delicious. And then we were trying to make the big one and we ended up using something like almost 20 pounds of Carolina Reaper and ghost oh. pepper in there. Whoa. And it was, yeah, it was a lot. So we, <laughs> we finished fermenting and I come in the back and the guys are, are filtering it through and finishing up some of the last steps. I come into the back and they've got this whole five gallon bucket full of all these Carolina Reaper and ghost peppers that are sitting there. And I was like, hey, have you guys, you guys tried any of these? Because I was really curious how much of the capsaicin would actually be pulled out of the pepper, especially mm-hmm. with alcohol, you know, like, oh, storing water in plastic. Eh, not great, but like it, it's not bad either. Storing alcohol in plastic, that's that's bad news. Like it starts to pull out terrible chemicals and so on and so forth. And so I was kind of curious like how that worked with, with the capsaicin and the peppers, how much of it would actually get pulled out. And I kind of thought I would be tasting like a, you know, a bell pepper sort of thing by the uh-huh. time they were done soaking. Nope. 
I come, <laughs> I come back and I, I was cautious. I just gave it like a little tiny lick, lick, just like lick the tip of it. And it was like, oh my goodness, like that is still super spicy. And of course, like it quickly became like a who can eat the most pepper contest in the back. Of course. And these guys are just like chowing down on them. And pretty much everybody called in sick the next day. But I know, I've now probably terrified you from trying to drink it. But it actually is like, it's a nice balance. It brings up the heat. You feel it in the back of the throat. You feel it in the front of your mouth. It definitely brings some heat, but it doesn't go past where like that first sip gets you to, which I think mm-hmm. a lot of that is the, the honey component to it. It just kind of smooths things out a little bit. Yeah. Can I ask, what's the capsaicin? Capsaicin is just the actual like chemical component that's in those peppers that provides the heat. It's where you get your Scoville Ooh. from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Ooh, it's good kinda, for your heart. Woo, yeah, <laughs> it'll it'll wake you back, but it won't go above that where you're at right now, Anna. It's not going to mm-hmm. take you too far. I see why you did uh. this one last because it won't be well, yeah. <laughs> totally, and it it would make all the other ones taste weird for sure. If you yeah. look on the if you look on the bottle, it's got a Grim Reaper kind of overlaid <laughs> into the back of it. Now you see that guy. Oh, perfect. <laughs> I couldn't see it till I had a sip and then he appeared. <laughs> Did you say his name three times in the movie? Yep. <laughs> Ooh, this is so good. Yeah, yeah, it definitely has that little little bit of a kick, but I like to to say don't fear the reaper and then I whip out my cowbell and start banging it. But uh, yeah, oh, man. because it is, it is a perfect balance and, and they hit that in the back in production for me so perfectly. I, I probably drank in half of the batch that we made. I, I love this mead and it's the one that I give to everyone who has any bit of keenness to spice uh, at all. Mm-hmm. And I think this one could, you know, put our name on the map, if you will. It's, it's, yeah. Anyway, I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that's really good. I don't know that I'm going to get through it, but it is mm-hmm. good it, in one sitting. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've marinated chicken uh, in it as well. Wow. Um, yeah, that honey and that spice. That's another great, here's another great thing about mead, da-da-da, is uh, <laughs> it, it pairs with food. You know, you can pair wines and stuff like that um, and beers and stuff, but mead is just another great food pairing. And with that honey and then now with this spice, it is, oh, it is a, a beautiful mm-hmm. little marinade. But don't overdo it because you got to drink most of it mm. well now that we're awake and i can feel the back of my eyeballs mm. <laughs> yeah tingling leah oh man i don't think we need an excuse to drink meat anymore <laughs> leah but i still no. want to hear what you got <laughs> if you are looking for an excuse to drink mead there is national mead day which happens on the first saturday of august so this year it's august 6th and i'm sure Evan and Nick already have that like highlighted on the calendar, big hearts all around it, <laughs> ready to celebrate National Mead Day. And this day was actually created by the American Home Brewers Association, and they organized this Mead Day to increase awareness of this sweet fermented beverage mm-hmm. and to bring mead lovers, mead drinkers together, and to really just get folks to learn more about mead, which is what we got to do today with you guys, which is awesome. But if you do want to celebrate mead on other days, I'm sure you can find festivals. I'm starting to see them pop up around me. We had a Texas mead festival in February with some meaderies from Texas, Central Texas, and then I read that one of the largest mead festivals is called the Sugar Belt Mead Festival in Crown Point, Indiana. So I don't know if you've heard of this or if they're just claiming to be the largest mead festival. <laughs> you know how people can be on the Internet. Um, <laughs> but that's actually coming up in a couple of weeks later in May. And it has I think this festival is boasting that they've got over 20 different meaderies around. And they're also saying they are mead only because I think there are some other mead festivals that invite beer. <laughs> wine so i know 
they can't really call it a meat fest. <laughs> I just got the West Side Story theme in my head. Like that's like a recipe for a rumble. <laughs> yeah, always a good right excuse now? for a knife fight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I throw bees at you and you lose. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of goes to show like where meat at where where meat. At. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see that, that bottle again, Evan. Yeah. Here's the bottle again. <laughs> that empty bottle. Listeners, it empty. She empty. Oh. Uh, so that kind of goes to show where meat is at right now currently, like as a beverage. is mm-hmm. like You can have 20 meaderies all together, and it's the biggest meat fest in the entire world. Like, that's true, yeah. Right, right. And that's like a huge part of what we like about it is like as far as business-wise goes, it's an open playing field. Mm-hmm. Um, so we here actually host our own. It's the Arizona Mead and Cider Festival. So maybe we kick ourselves <gasps> out by also inviting cider. But you're just friendly like that. <laughs> well, and it's part of the licensing. So federally, most cider, re- most, oh, fuck you, Mead. <laughs> <laughs> so federally. It's turned most, on you. It has. It's totally turned on me. It's fighting me now. It's fighting me. Meaderies are classified federally as wineries, technically. And a lot of cideries are also classified as the same because we ferment things that are other than grain or grape. So when we do our big Arizona Mead and Cider Festival, which is the biggest in our state and probably the biggest in the Southwest, because we end up with, I think we had 15 meaderies the last time we did it. So like six more and we'll be the biggest in the world. Yeah. Watch out, Sugar Belt. (laughs) But it is fun. Like we talked about earlier, like mead being a slightly different feeling than say whiskey or beer Mm -hmm. or whatever. And being that we are mead, we would go and do all kinds of different festivals. And a lot of them are whiskey. A lot of them are beer. We would do cocktail festivals. And you get different vibes out of the people that are there. Not so much at the beginning of the festival, but maybe (laughs) more towards the end, you start to kind of feel out like what they, what they all feel like. And you could say Mm -hmm. it's a one-off, but when you do these festivals year after year after year, it's just kind of different. And the mead festivals, like it's amazing. And there's not nearly enough of them. There's a couple in California. There's actually one that's called meeting in the gardens. Oh, of course with the pun pun tied in there. I like that. There must be something about mead that mm-hmm. it, it either attracts pun people or pun people are attracted to mead. I don't know. But we've all found each other. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's all that matters is that we all found each other. They're pretty fun. And it just, you get a whole different vibe of people. You're never going to end up with a whole bunch of dudes dressed up in full armor at a beer festival. Right. <laughs> just the later hosen. It's not as cool. It's not as cool. Maybe a kilt or two, but you know. Uh-huh. What I think is cool, though, and you were explaining this at the beginning of the show, is you kind of have your own festivals all the time in your mead hall. And having a mead hall is really an important part of culture because back in the day, that's really where like the society building was happening. That's where the meetings, the meetings were were happening between people who are decision makers in the communities that they lived in. You know, that's where like kings would talk poorly about other people and set them off or that's where you know who was who and so in a sense it's like mead has always been sort of the center of celebrations part of weddings birthdays to celebrate really exciting milestones and you guys seem to have mead festivals all the time in your own drinking hall i love that i love that you say we have a festival every day it it is a gathering spot it was the gathering spot and we want it to continue to be the gathering spot you know evan and kelly they didn't create a bar they created a hall and And that's Mm -hmm. what I kind of tell people all the time. It is a community meeting space. We've had weddings. We've had people come in and teach leather classes and chain like metalworking classes. We've had um, film festival panels on important topics. Like we just had the Flagstaff Mountain Film Festival in there and people came together and talked about Glen Canyon and Lake Powell and water issues. 
baby showers. Yeah, yeah, baby <laughs> shower. Exactly. It, it, it's a hall. It's, you know, when you think of the word hall, it's that community gathering space. And mm-hmm. it, it does take a little bit of, of want and effort to create that. You could just sit back and be like, let's just get people drunk. But to invite everyone to come in now, it's to the point where words kind of getting around to where people like think of us. And that's so awesome. They think of the mead hall to, to, have whatever the the celebration or ceremony is and so yeah having a festival pretty much every day evan talked about when people come in people say like hoorah or hey or not not hoorah (laughs) that's military but like and like pound on the tables and like imagine coming into a place and having that kind of again celebration of of you coming in the community gathering Mm -hmm. and one of the biggest things we've heard about our mead hall or one of the best things and most heartwarming things we hear about the mead hall is it is a place where people feel 100% safe like not necessarily even physically but emotionally like we have people coming in in witch hats and like dressed up and like (laughs) playing board games and magic the gathering we have like a couple dungeons and dragons lights yeah it's a great celebration space and we'd love to see it you know grow for sure I love that it's what the meat hall was supposed to be, right? Like you were saying, mm-hmm. Leah, like it's, it was a place where you not only conducted business, but you also officiated everything that needed to be officiated. If you need somebody to mm. basically like sign off on you selling your house to somebody else, you came into the meat hall and so mm-hmm. the guy running the meat hall would be like, yep, <clears throat> I saw it happen. So it was like also <laughs> city hall. <laughs> Yeah, it was. It was. Like it was City Hall. It was the church. It was the school. It was uh-huh. all of those things kind of tied notary. to each other. The, the notary. notary. I love it. The center of life is at the mm-hmm. Mead Hall. Yeah. And we have a whole episode. I talked to um, a guy who basically kind of wrote the book on Mead Halls. The whole building itself is kind of a, an extension where the hall was the main thing and there were little rooms on the side. And now we've kind of culturalized like bigger rooms and just a little hall. But mm-hmm. I want to go back to like the big hall. We have a long table. We want we want to bring everyone and be like, guess what? You're going to talk to these people. And like, if you feel uncomfortable talking to them right now, have a glass of mead. You guys, <laughs> you guys are going to end up being like best friends or like you're going to find out this guy like can rent you a boat to go fishing or whatever. <laughs> like yeah. an, awesome. an open floor plan, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And a fire. You always have to have a fire. Got to have a fire. Oh. An open mind plan. Ooh. Oh, oh, I like oh, that. I like that. <laughs> So good. This has been awesome, you guys. Thank you so much for sending us your mead sample. Thank you so much for telling us all about it. We hope that you've enjoyed listening to some of our historical tidbits as well. Mm-hmm. It's delightful listening to you guys talk about these things and taking your deep dives has been has been great. And so everyone listening to the mead cast, go over because I know we got a lot of foodies in there who are just going to get their minds blown by everything that you guys give on your episodes. It's awesome. Oh, absolutely. It's a pleasure being on with you guys. And like, I didn't even know about the Mayan mead before today. So I've actually got some research that I'm actually kind of kind of itching to go do now. I'm, I'm excited to learn some more. You guys got my brain juices flowing. Ooh, yeah. so we're going to start seeing some of this on your menu, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Nice. We're actually, we've been working on a Tej, actually. <gasps> Ooh. Oh, yep. very cool. Can we? Can something be named after us? Can there be the callback Tej, the pun bell Tej? <laughs> it's just yes. going to be the Anna Leah Tej. Aww. Or Leah Anna. We're just going to name That's that That's so you guys. sweet. We love that. <laughs> Well, yes, everybody go follow both shows. Every day is a food day and the Drinking Horn Meadcast. Search for us or we'll put links in the show notes to both shows. And if you already follow both shows, you win. Yeah. yeah. Right. 
You win podcasts. <laughs> You're our best friends. <laughs> You're our best friends. For Food Day, you can find us anywhere you get your podcasts. You can check out our website at yumday.co slash podcasts. We are very active on social media, especially Instagram, at, at Food Day Pod, where we post lots of behind-the-scenes stuff and super fun visuals and background info on all of our stories and foods. We do Instagram Lives every month, which you guys joined us yesterday. Yay! Thanks for hopping in. Yeah, that was so fun. <laughs> And for the Drinking Horn Meadcast, if you're interested in listening to a uh, slightly less professional production with two goofballs who will uh, entertain at the least about bees, mead, and Viking, cool Viking shit, then uh, you can find us anywhere that you catch your podcasts as well. Uh, we've got Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, all, all that good stuff going on as well. We're uh, uh, happy to, to be your entertainment. And uh, yeah, it was fun to jump onto your Instagram live. A great time there. So yeah, follow them following us like they said then we're best friends and uh, you're stuck with us so, and yeah. you can follow us at drinking horn meadery on anything <laughs> literally anything. all the places all the places all of them. gmail mm-hmm. <laughs> friendster bumble <laughs> friendster we're always Aww. looking for a match you know it's a <laughs> yeah. pour one out for friendster <laughs> should we mention that you ship your read worldwide or yeah. is it worldwide no. or national? <laughs> Not worldwide. I wish it was worldwide. Yeah. That would be yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Should we mention that you ship your mead outside of Arizona? Absolutely. You can find it on www.drinkinghornmeadery.com. And you can ship it. We ship to 38 states at this point. So I'm sorry if you're listening from one of those states that has weird laws that we don't ship it into yet. But uh, we're always working on more licensing. And so if you're in a state where we don't ship to, get a friend in a state that we do. <laughs> Cross state lines. Yes. Open a P.O. box. We're looking at you, Oklahoma. (laughs) Arkansas, come on. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Yeah. All you meet is love. Aww. Thank you for joining Leah Ballantyne, Nick Irvin, Evan Anderson, and me, Anna Van Valen, for this special episode from Every Day is a Food Day and the Drinking Horn Meadcast. Be sure to follow both shows wherever you get your podcasts. The clip you heard today was from Guy Fieri's Family Road Trip. This episode was edited and sound designed by Anna Van Valen and Leah Ballantyne. See you next time.